Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series. And now, here is Senior Pastor Ken Jensen. This morning, I thought I'd start off with a little bit of a quiz. It's an easy one, okay? Very, very easy. Um, I'm going to describe somebody, and you tell me who it is I'm describing, okay? Very simple. If you see someone wearing a blue shirt, a badge, maybe on the left hand, a pocket, uh, a gun belt around their waist, driving a car that is painted black and white, you are probably looking at a policeman. Yeah, that's pretty good. Uh, If you see someone wearing green scrubs, scrubs, maybe under um, a white lab coat with, with a stethoscope draped around their neck, you are probably looking at a doctor. Sure. If you see someone, you're standing in line and you see someone behind a counter with a white apron and a hairnet and a large serving spoon in their hand, they are probably your, no, your high school cafeteria worker. (laughs) Chef, give me a break. Uh, If you see um, a man on the side of the road with a hard hat and a bright orange vest leaning on a shovel... He is probably a Caltrans worker. If you see someone wearing a white shirt and tie, dressed in a three-piece suit, in their car, driving on a Sunday morning, they are probably on their way to some other church. If you see someone dressed in a red velvet suit, with white fur trim and a black Big black belt carrying a large sack. You are probably looking at Santa Claus. Yeah. Because, see, we judge by appearances. You know, how people are dressed, what they're doing. You just kind of, you think, well, okay, I know who that person is. Simply by appearances. Well, this morning we're going to talk about that it's not about appearances. And it's kind of based a little bit on the movie, um, The Santa Claus. And if you're not familiar with the story, let me kind of just set this up a little bit. What happens is a guy named Scott Calvin, he's a divorced father, and uh, it's not a real good separation. There's kind of a custody fight going on, and he happens to have his son Charlie at his house on Christmas Eve, and he's read him, you know, the, the story of um, the, the poem, I'm, the, I can't even remember, the night before Christmas, thank you, and uh, they go to bed, and they hear this noise on the roof, and so Scout, Scott Calvin goes out to check out what's going on, and he startles Santa on the roof, causing him to fall and die. And this is a children's movie, okay? Watch this. Fellas, you can hear me. I'm just looking for identification. I'll give you a lift back to the mall. Something should happen to me. Put on my suit. The reindeer will know what to do.
Santa Claus. And putting on this suit and entering the sleigh, the wearer waves any and all rights to any previous identity, real or unlying, and fully accepts the duties and responsibilities of Santa Claus in perpetuity until such time that wearer becomes unable to do so by either accident or design. What does that mean? It means you put on the suit, you're the big guy. Let me explain something to you. Hey, toys have to be delivered. I'm not going to do it. It's not my job. I'm just an elf. And Santa's job, but Santa fell off the roof. Your roof. You played the card, you put on a suit that clearly falls on the Santa Claus. Now you're Santa, okay? A question. What? When did I get out of here? You leave tomorrow morning. You have 11 months to get your affairs in order, and you're due back here Thanksgiving. What come back here Thanksgiving? Uh, ship the list to your house. What list? So he gets drafted simply because he puts on a suit. We make judgments by appearances, but putting on a Santa suit doesn't make him Santa. No more than putting on scrubs and a lab coat makes me a doctor. And yet, because we judge by appearances, we put a high value on what other people think. And because of that, we have this tendency to do things based on how it appears. Jesus didn't come to make us look better. <laughs> he didn't come to change the way we look to other people. He came to change our hearts. He came to bring the kingdom of God. He came to transform lives. And instead of settling for appearances and doing things what good spiritual people do, he says, I want to change your heart. And the announcement about this was made to a group of shepherds. And it's recorded back in Luke chapter 2. Let me read it to you. If you want to follow along, it's in one of the Bibles uh, in the seat next to you, page 1014. Begin in Luke 2, verse 8. It said, now at the birth, this is about the, at the night Jesus was born. There were shepherds living in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of a great joy that will be for all people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord, and this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths, lying in a manger. And suddenly, a great company of a heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. And when the angels had left them, and had gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see what this thing has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what has been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. And then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. Good news, a great joy. And here is the sign. Here is how you will know. This is what to look for. This is the appearance. Now, I don't know about you, but like heaven's opening up with bright lights and glory and angels singing, that's a pretty good sign. And yet that's not the sign. The sign is not all this bright flash and glitter and loud singing and shouting. The sign is simply this. It's a baby wrapped in cloths, lying 
in a feeding trough. And I think what God was saying is it's not about the flash. (laughs) And it's not about all the appearances. It's something as simple as the birth of a new life. It's not a very impressive sign. But see, it's not about appearances. It's about life transformation. And it's not about a religion. It's about a life lived with God. And in Jesus, God was offering this new life to us. And it's not just so we would look better, but so that we would truly be transformed. And for that to happen, we got to be willing to live and work and move beyond appearances. And quit thinking about what other people think and pursue what it is that God has brought to us. And there's some very deliberate steps and choices to make along the way. Because if we're going to move past and beyond appearances, we got to make some decisions about that. We need to decide, first of all, we got to give up control. we got to be willing to give up the control of our lives. And that is not an easy thing to do. The angels announced to the shepherd, we bring you great good news of a great joy for what will be to all people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. Now, that language that is used is very, very loaded language. There's a lot happening historically around this time. And Luke sets this whole story in the context of history. In fact, he tells us all of this happened because in those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world, and everyone went to his own town to register. Now, you need to understand what that means. A little historical background. Caesar Augustus was the adopted son of Julius Caesar. Now, if you remember your high school, okay, your high school history, all right? Julius Caesar was the one who kind of solidified the Roman Empire, and, and when he died, when Julius Caesar died, there was actually um, a claim that people saw a comet on the night that he died. And they believed that he had actually ascended into heaven. And he was declared at the very beginning by the Roman Senate as God. It is the beginning of the cult of emperor worship. And uh, Caesar Augustus is the son of Julius Caesar. And he is uh, officially given the title Son of God. And Caesar Augustus begins to expand the Roman Empire and and settle all of these civil wars. And in a great battle, he defeats Mark Antony, who was the greatest threat to the destruction of the empire. And because he did that, he was considered to be the savior of the Roman Empire. And he established what became called the Pax Romana. You remember that from high school? The Pax Romana literally means the peace of Rome. That Caesar Augustus, the son of God... The Savior of the Roman Empire has come and brought peace to this world. He has become Soter, Savior. He has become Lord. And poets wrote songs about this great man. And the proclamation went out through the whole Roman Empire. And that proclamation was called the Evangelion, the good news, the gospel. The gospel of Rome, that Caesar Augustus, the son of God, has been the savior of the Roman Empire, and he's established peace. He is the prince of peace, and this is good news. Now, does that sound at all familiar to anybody? And angels show up. 
two shepherds who have heard all of these proclamations and they say, I bring you good news. Today, in the city of David, a Savior has been born. By all appearances of the time, by every way that you could look, Caesar Augustus is in control. He is the chief muckamuck. No one questions Caesar Augustus. What he says goes. In fact, we're told it starts because he declares and issues a decree that the whole world should be involved in a census to be taxed. He is a powerful ruler. He is in control by every appearance. He speaks the word and people have to move. He says jump and you don't even bother asking how high. You just jump. That's how powerful he is. And because he issues a decree, a young peasant newlywed couple make an 80-mile journey to a town called Bethlehem. They didn't live in Bethlehem. They lived in Nazareth. But because of this great decree by this great Caesar Augustus, they make this 80-mile trip in not very good conditions when she is just about due with her first child. And they end up in a town of Bethlehem. And you think Caesar is in control and Mary and Joseph, they are just pawns in the whole story. Except, except that 700 years before Caesar, Augustus was even a gleam in his parents' eye, a prophet named Micah wrote these words. But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, are only a small village among all the people of Judah. Yet a ruler of Israel will come from you, one whose origins are from the distant past. Everybody thinks Augustus Caesar is in control. And what Luke is telling us is the one who's really in control is God. Everybody thinks they have to make this journey to Bethlehem because Caesar issued a decree. He spoke the word and it had to happen. Except 700 years before, God said, you're going to make this move to Bethlehem. And out of Bethlehem is going to come Savior of the world. See, by all appearances, Caesar's in control. What they don't understand and what Luke is pointing out as he tells the story is, God is in control all along. And the reason we need to know this is because each and every one of us have this kingdom problem. My kingdom. My rights. My way. My timing. My pride. And some people are very obvious in the way that they rule. And some people are more subtle and manipulative. But we are always trying to build our little kingdom. And the proof of that is when I don't get my way and when things don't work out the way I planned and my territory gets invaded, I get worried, I get stressed, I get defensive, I get irritated and angry. A couple of months ago, I was meeting somebody um, for coffee at at one of the local coffee shops around here. And um, I got there early. And so um, I went and I sat down at the table, and it was a you know, table for four, and I was sitting on this side, and the other, t- um, other chairs were empty. And then on the immediately next table, there was a guy who was sitting with his back to me, reading his paper. 
And so um, I go and I get my coffee and I come to sit down. And just as I go to sit down, he finishes one section of paper and just drops it over on the table behind him. So I thought, well, okay, he didn't know I was sitting here. That's fine. So I pick up the paper and I go and I put it over in the pile with the rest of the newspapers. And I come and sit down and he finishes another section and he just drops it on the table behind him. And I thought, okay. So I said, excuse me. And he turns around and he goes, what? I said, well, I'm sitting here. He says, well, yeah, but you're sitting over there. You're not sitting here. There's nobody sitting here. I said, I have a friend who's coming. Well, excuse me. Now, I told the story to Betty, and she said, you are a magnet for this kind of stuff happening. (laughs) Nobody else has this kind of stuff happening to them. And I wondered to myself, why is that? And the answer is, because I want my kingdom. I want to stake out my territory. Don't invade my space with your newspaper. And we all have this problem to one degree or another. If we're in the middle of life and it just seems like doors close and, and things are up in the air and things are totally out of control and I don't know what to do, I get stressed and I get worried about it. Somebody violates my personal territory. Somebody intrudes on my rights, steps on my privileges, and I get mean and angry and irritated. And it's all because I got this kingdom problem. And what Luke is trying to get across is, you're not in control. But there is someone who is. And if your life feels out of control this morning, or if you are irritated and angry because your rights are being violated... God is showing you, you are not in control. And the sooner you learn that, the better off you will be. We need to learn to give up the control of our lives. Now, the thing is that Jesus came in humility. There was a lot of fanfare, but not to anybody who really mattered. (laughs) He just kind of slowly sneaks into this world and brings the kingdom of God with him. And very, very few people even know about it. But that's the way that he does it. He doesn't seize control. He doesn't grab hold and impose power on your life. He just simply invites you, trust me. Trust me. I spend a great deal of time when I counsel with people just trying to help them recognize what you are in control of and what you are out of control of. And so many people are in situations that they want to change this other person who's a problem in their life. And I keep telling them, you are not going to be able to change that person. You will be frustrated and angry and hurt and everything. If you, are, if you think you're going to change them, it ain't going to happen. But you can. You can change yourself. You can let go of control and realize this is beyond me. And maybe, just maybe, it's God trying to get my attention. And if we're going to move beyond the appearance of religion and move to transformation, we've got to be willing to give up control because control is an illusion. We are not in the same control as we would like to think we are. And with that, we also then need to face the truth about ourselves. As the story goes on uh, in Santa Claus, um, as the next Christmas approaches, all of a sudden changes start happening for Scott Calvin. 
and, and he doesn't like it, and he tries to kind of excuse it and explain it away. Um, he won't accept it. He doesn't want this job, but it finally gets to a point where he just can't ignore it anymore. Watch the quick clip. He doesn't want to admit it, but changes are happening. And it has to do with another problem we have, because we don't just have this kingdom problem, we also have this image problem. We, we have this image that we want to promote. We want people to think we are smarter than we are, more spiritual than we are, more on top of it than we really are, that our lives are more together than they really are. And so we try to hide our weaknesses and we try to excuse our mistakes and and conceal our faults. And what happens is we start settling for a pseudo-spirituality. A spiritual spirituality that is involved with all kinds of religious activity that looks really, really good. But inside, nothing's really happening. I've told the story many times. I grew up in the church. I mean, my parents brought me to church um, before I knew what church was. And I grew up all through, you know, the, the nursery, the preschool, the, the Sunday school. And, and I got really, really good at doing church. I mean, I, I really did. I had perfect attendance badges with chains and chains and chains of years. Every year, perfect attendance, you know, Sunday school. And we would have these things called sword drills because the Bible is the word of God, the sharper than any two-edged sword. So we would have these sword drills where, um, where the, the, we, in our Sunday school class, we'd sit around and we'd hold our Bible. We'd have to hold it out. And the teacher would say the scripture and the verse, the chapter and verse. And then he would say, charge. And you had to quickly look up. And I was the first one to find the verses. I was so good, they put a handicap on me. I had to start with the Bible under my chair while everybody else got... And I still won. I won contests for bringing the most kids. I did all the things that looks like a good Christian boy ought to do. You know what happens? What happens when you, when you, when you pursue the appearances is what starts to settle in is a certain smugness. I'm better at it than you are. a little bit of superiority. And from there, it's not very far step to judgmentalism 
and judging other people because of their appearances. When Jesus came as a Savior, He came as a Savior for me. And what I needed to be saved from, what I needed to be rescued from, was religion. (laughs) And it wasn't until many, many years later that I discovered it's not about how good you are at looking up Bible verses or how many memory verses you have in your brain or how many perfect attendance awards you have and how many gold leaf Bibles you carry or how many crosses you wear around the neck or how many what Jesus do bracelets you wear around your wrist. It's none of those things. It's none of those things. See, Jesus came to rescue. The announcement was made to the shepherds, today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. Now that is another word, Christ, that has a whole bunch of meaning. And contrary to popular belief, Christ is not Jesus' last name, okay? It is a title. It is a title. And it is the Greek form of the Hebrew word Messiah, which really simply meant anointed one, God's chosen one. And and there was a great belief in, in Jewish society that someday Messiah is coming. They were longing for and looking for Messiah. But their idea of Messiah was not that he would just bring a political solution, that he would reestablish and make things right. He would reestablish Israel to its former glory, where God would be the ruler, and the theocracy would be restored, and temple worship would be done right, and all of these impure non-koshers would be taken care of, and all of these these Gentiles and and all of these sinners would be judged and and put in their proper places, and all of this was going to happen when Messiah came. He was going to make things right. He was going to judge the disobedient and condemn the sinners. And the problem was that Jesus came and he hung out with those people. Those were the people that he hung out with. And that's why the religious leaders had such a hard time with him because their expectations of Messiah was he was going to judge these people. He was going to put them in their place. He was going to show who the truly righteous were and elevate them to authority. And that's why over and over again, you read through the Gospels and the Pharisees and teachers of the law are saying things like, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. And that great crowds came bringing the lame and the blind and the crippled and the mute and many others, and they laid him at his feet and he healed them. The refuse of society, the outcast, the marginalized, the people nobody else cares about, the people that are deserving of the punishment that God gave them from their lives from some kind of sin, because that was the belief. Do you remember when there was a blind man and, and Jesus was questioned, Lord, why is this man blind? Was it his sin or his parents' sin? And Jesus said, it's not about that. And that's the trouble when we start living for appearances because we start putting on these false fronts ourselves and then we start making judgments about other people because of what they look like. And Messiah didn't come to just bolster our appearances. He came to rescue and to heal and to save. Jesus welcomes sinners. He hangs out with the unclean. He reaches out to those that nobody else cares about. And that is the sign. The sign of this little baby is God has come to you. He has come for you. And that's what the angels had said way back at his birth. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for 
all people, not just the select few, not just the deserving, not just that those who have gotten their life fixed up enough that God says, okay, you did your best, now I'll get to work with you. He came for people just the way that they are. And we're never, never going to get past the parents' religion unless we're willing to be honest about ourselves. That we are a deeply needy of God's grace. That none of us can fix it up on our own. None of us can make this work by our own efforts. It is the work of God. It is His grace. And He comes to everyone. And part of the proof of that is the way that He enters into the world. The way that it happens with Joseph and Mary and the whole thing about questionable origins and all of that proves God doesn't care about reputation. He was considered by most, Jesus was considered by most to be an illegitimate child. And his mother, a loose woman. And his father, something's got to be wrong with him because he went ahead and married her. But he doesn't care about appearances. And he doesn't care about reputation. He comes to us the way that we are. And when we are honest about the way that we are, he begins the transformation process. And we only, we only experience that to the degree that we are willing to be honest about ourselves. And that's why Paul wrote to the Corinthian church, it is we who, who with unveiled faces reflect God's glory and are being transformed into his likeness. It's only when the masks come off It's only when we take some time for self-examination and self-disclosure and honest enough about ourselves to recognize our need that we're really ready for transformation. And that's what God wants for us, to really change our lives. Honestly admitting the truth about ourselves, humbly surrendering to His will and His plan. In the movie, what happens is finally Scott Calvin gets to the point where he realizes, you know, instead of fighting this, I'm just going to embrace it. And he actually becomes Santa Claus. Watch this. It's funny how we will fight against God. We'll fight against what He wants to do in our life. We want to be in control. We want to keep up appearances. He says, you know, if you would just give up, if you would just let go, 
then you find real transformation. And those are only the first steps. Because what really is all, it is all about is learning to trust in God's ways. That's what this is all about. Facing the truth about ourselves, giving up control. Those are the only, only the first steps because it is the beginning of a lifelong journey of transformation. And is a transformation from the center, not from the appearances and the outside. Paul wrote about it as Christ being formed in you, changed in character. That when we choose to follow, we become followers of Jesus Christ and we follow in His footsteps. And His footsteps are the footsteps of dissension, of moving down, of not self-promoting, but self-giving. Not self-serving, but serving others. Philippians 2, 6 says, Have the same attitude as Jesus. Though he was God, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born a human being. Bill Hybels calls this in his book, Descending into Greatness. It's giving up control. It's letting down our guard and being who we really are. And each step that we take is similar to the one we took before. It is a downward movement towards obedience and servanthood. And what it is, it's a journey into love because that's what the kingdom of God is all about. That's why Jesus came the way that he did. That's why when he was questioned about what is the greatest commandment, it's to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. Those are the only two things. If you want to judge by appearances and you want to take a look at how well am I maturing, how well am I being transformed, the only two questions you have to ask yourself are, am I growing in my love for God and am I growing in my love for other people? Because those are the things that God looks for. Not how many perfect attendance awards. Not about all that other stuff. It's simply this. Am I growing in my love for God? Am I learning to let go in trusting obedience? Because that's what love is. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey my commandments. Am I growing in my love for other people? Am I willing to set aside my own agenda for the sake of somebody else? Am I willing to give up my rights to be able to love someone else? And that's the sign. That's the transformation. The sign was not the bright glory and the angels singing. The sign was a baby that was born. In humility, insignificance to a peasant couple with a not so good reputation. But what he was doing was he was showing us this is what the pathway of transformation looks like. A setting aside of your own rights for the sake of others. A willingness to trust and obey when it seems like you're losing control. And that's good news. That's the good news. That God has come and He has come for you not to just make you look better but to change you from the inside out. And every day... Every day of your life becomes a journey on this lifelong journey of surrender. And sometimes God uses people sitting at another table dumping newspapers on your table to do it. 
And every day, if you're paying attention, he gives you scores and scores of opportunities to take those steps. It's the step downward. It's the step of servanthood. It is a step and the journey of love. And that's good news. Now, implied in all of that was that you go and you take this and make it yourself. See, the angels appeared to the shepherds and told them about this wonderful thing that was happening and it was all bright lights and shiny glory and angels singing and shouting and all kinds of stuff going on. But the reason they did all of that was so that you would go to Bethlehem to see it. Because if they just sat there on the hillside and go, wow, wasn't that something? They still would have missed the sign because the sign wasn't all the hype and the glory. The sign was a baby. And they were smart enough to understand that. And so they said to each other, let's go. Let's go to Bethlehem and see the thing that's happened, which the Lord has told us about. And they went and they saw And it says, when they left, they returned glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. The sign was this, and when they got there, it was exactly what they had told it would be. And it's up to each and every one of us to discover for ourselves. God really does know what he's talking about when he says, trust me. He really knows what he's doing when sometimes my life seems to be spinning out of control. He really does mean it when he says, set aside your agenda and serve and give for others. Because when you do that, you will find the transformation that he promised that is not just appearances, is a change from the inside out. And it will be just as he had told you. Would you bow your heads with me? Thank you for listening to this week's message. We trust that you'll join us again soon for another uplifting message from Northgate Christian Fellowship located in Venetia, California. 